Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. Today, I have a guest that I've been really, really excited to bring on because she is talking my language, and I'm just so excited to have this conversation. Tanya Braddock is an intuitive empath specialized in quantum healing hypnosis, EFT tapping, we don't know anything about that here, (laughs) and the emotion code where she dives deep into subconscious mind to assist and teach people how to tap into their own inner healer naturally and intuitively. Now, Tanya hosts the Existential Empath Podcast, which is where we connected, where she shares tips and techniques on how to strengthen one's intuitive gifts to allow major shifts in consciousness to take place. Tanya worked in the healthcare field for nearly 15 years when she experienced, where she experienced many paranormal experiences, which opened her up to understanding her abilities on a much deeper level. She also has the ability to activate people in their own knowledge of light language to assist with elevating one's consciousness. Tanya, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. So the piece that you were talking about, that you were in the healthcare field for nearly 15 years, where you experienced many paranormal experiences because you were working in organ donation. That was one of the big reasons why I was like, oh my God, we have to have this conversation. But then you told me that you grew up around funeral homes which is why this show is called Living with the Departed. But before we dive into the whole communing with the dead and talking with people on the other side and all of that, I want to talk about you and where the whole story begins, what your experience was like as a highly sensitive little kid. Did you know you were an empath? What, you know, so paint the picture, tell us the story. What was, where, where does it all start? Absolutely. So I grew up in Western New York in a very small town out in the country. So when you think of Western New York, it's not New York City, it's more Amish country. And so I lived uh, next to a river and majority of the time I spent as a child was outdoors. I mean, I was constantly in nature. And as a child, I remember very specifically having telepathic communications with animals and elementals and my friends would have parties where we would actually go out into the woods and search for fairies and different elementals and whatnot and you know as a child I always thought that was really fun but the reality is is I remember seeing these things and communicating with these things so asking me if I knew I was an empath at that time I would probably have to say no Mm -hmm. but now as an adult of course I look back and I'm like wow I was extremely tuned in to nature and to the the subtle energies in the subtle realms and so 
you know, I remember my parents always saying that I was the sensitive one, mm-hmm. you know, they would always use those words. And I never really understood what that meant. I think it's because I would go to school and I would come home, I would cry, I would be holding, you know, emotions of those around me. And I was always a really caring, compassionate kid. It, you know, I always friended the kids that didn't have a lot of friends, or I would mm-hmm. kind of comfort the children that were hurting, or, you know, I always found myself doing that. And that went out through my whole life. And I think that's what led me into working in healthcare. Uh, I had been working, my first job was a nonprofit. I worked for a blood bank <laughs> and then I moved into hospice care for a while. I had worked and now I'm, I'm not, not a nurse. Right. I was never a nurse. I was always working more on the administrative side of things or the marketing end of things. But with that said, when you work in nonprofits, you kind of wear many hats. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of being guided into all these different positions, you know, within these companies. And so at hospice, I found myself, we had just built a brand new hospice house and I had found myself kind of gravitating towards it and being there with those who were crossing over. (laughs) And I just remember hearing voices. I remember seeing mists. I, you know, I remember having these experiences, which I did as a child too, but I don't, I think I may have shut it off for a while. And I think many of us do as Mm -hmm. empaths, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I do remember very clearly when I was a child sharing with my friends at school that I could talk to animals and I got picked on. Yes. So, yes. Yes. (laughs) So I'm wondering if that's when I shut it off. You have sort of like the special weird like witchy friends who like you know like you you all hang out and like after school and you get the Ouija board or the other stuff but like you're kind of in these like little kind of secret clubs where it's like you share your magic and then but in school you're trying to pass as a normal person (laughs) some of us do better than others I didn't do so well with that passing but um so you talk about you know and I just it's funny. I am very, I'm actually fairly familiar with that part of, uh, you know, that part of New York. Um, like I used to go to this gathering many for many, many, many years, about an hour out of Jamestown. And so, you know, that kind oh, of it farm. Was probably the Casadega of the North. Uh, uh, oh, what's it called? I can't remember. But I, when I lived in Florida, they had a place, a spiritual camp called Casadega, and it was a secondary home to the one in Western New York. And it's right there, just near Jamestown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this was a place, this was a gathering that um, there was a bunch of different events that happened. And one was called Starwood that always happened in July. And um, the place is called Brushwood. And it was like this really, but, you know, and really rustic, really like, you know, and so you just like go there and spend like a week off the grid, but like driving through like up and down the rolling hills through the horse country and really, really magical beautiful beautiful land out there very lovely so i i can just imagine where you where you grew up i also spent my childhood out in the gardens looking for the fairies trying to communicate you know and and like communicating with them and stuff like that so that i can totally relate so let's talk about um funeral homes okay so I grew up, okay, so not my my parents didn't own the funeral home, but my 
uncle owned the funeral home and mm-hmm. this funeral home had gone down, you know, through the family line. And my dad had spent a lot of time there. He would go and my dad was a contractor. So he would go and fix up the home, but their funeral home was actually their home. So they, you know, it was like one of those olden time funeral homes where they had the big picture window in the front where they would place the, you know, the deceased and then people would say their goodbyes. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time with my cousins around this, you know, and seeing all of this death. And I do remember being around animals that would die too. And I would hold my hands over them in a way that it was almost like I was healing animals, you know, at this time as a child. And so, uh, you know, when I started to move into high school, I started to just become a little bit more infatuated with death a little bit. I, I thought that was the direction I wanted to go. I thought I wanted to be a mortician. I thought I wanted to take over my uncle's funeral home. So when I started to go off into college, I took a class called death and dying. Mm -hmm. And in that class, I had to do um, some sort of an internship type, you know, deal. And I chose to go shadow my uncle at the funeral home. Well, when I went to go do that, I didn't really realize how sensitive I was going to be not to the spirits, but to the chemicals, to the formaldehyde, to the embalming fluids, to all of that. And so I knew that that was not going to be my my path. I knew that there was something with death that I was meant to work with the other side, but I knew it wasn't meant to be physically like in that capacity. So I had spent a little bit of time with him to learn that process. And I realized that was not for me. And so, uh, you know, as I moved through college, then I, I went through, you know, I got into communications and then that's when I started to move into more of the nonprofits and the hospices. But Then after hospice, that's when I moved into working for an organ procurement organization. And I worked with funeral homes. I worked with medical examiner's offices. I worked with hospitals. I worked, oftentimes I was reviewing medical charts right there in the morgue, you know? So I was really getting to a point where I I was around death almost every single day because I was in the intensive care units, the emergency departments, working with families uh, who had just lost their loved ones. And uh, at this time, this is a very demanding job. It takes up a lot of energy, a lot of emotion, uh, you know, behind that, a lot of physical effort. I was putting in long hours, very long hours because people don't just die at nine to five, you know, so it's like, right. So I was having to respond oftentimes uh, late at night to do education and whatnot. And then I would be uh, sometimes assisting our coordinators in the operating room during the organ recoveries. And this is when I started to really notice my gifts were beginning to really pick up. Uh, I noticed it specifically at first, just interacting with the staff. I noticed that I would be, you know, in the morning I'd be great. And then by the time I got to the hospital, I'd interact with some staff and I would recognize that I was sad for the rest Mm. of the day, or Mm -hmm. I was heavy. I felt burdened and I would listen to their stories of how they were caring for the, the patients and the families. And I was taking this on. Yeah. This is when I started to understand the true concept of being an empath or being empathic. Yes. And oh, Jennifer, that was probably those 
those five or six years before I actually learned what was happening were intense for me. I started to suffer with severe pain in my body. I'd go to the doctor. They'd say I had fibromyalgia. I wasn't taking that as, you know, my diagnoses. And so then I, that's when I really dove into the energy work, the energy psychology and, um, you know, it took me along that path. But during that process, I started to have dreams about my donors, about the donors that I was caring for. I was working with these families and then I started to have dreams about them and they were sending me messages in these dreams to relate to the families. And it started to scare me. It was really scaring me. And this wasn't every single one of them, but there were certain ones that I would get really close to the families. And then I would go home that night and have what appeared to be a very lucid or astral projection type dream. I mean, it was extremely real, extremely vivid. And I remember specifically the first time it happened, it was a young man. He was probably in his forties and he was in the back of his pickup truck and his Labrador retriever had actually tripped him and he had fallen out of the truck and hit his head. And it resulted in him being an organ donor. And this family, you know, I was really working heavily with them, with our coordinator, because they wanted donation very desperately. Well, the mom was grieving terribly, just grieving. She, she was having a really, cause this was such a freak accident, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember that night and it wasn't cause donation takes, it's a process. It's not like it, you just go in one day and then the next day we're recovering. It's usually anywhere. It's not like 40. Grey's Anatomy. No, definitely. <laughs> For all you that have seen those shows, it is nothing like that. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we were spending a lot of time caring for that family. And so I remember I went home, it's probably the third night that we had been working with that family. And I had a very vivid dream, a very vivid dream. And I'm not going to share all the details just out of respect for the family in case they're, they're listening. But I had held on to that information because at the time I thought, that's crazy. There's no way that he's communicating with me to tell his mom this. And, you know, well, a year goes by and we used to have these beautiful ceremonies for the donor families that were called flag raising ceremonies at the hospital. And I would coordinate them. Well, this family showed up and this family sought me out because they wanted to see me. They, these families like to see those that they worked with. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This family sought me out and somehow I got into a conversation with his this donor's mom. And I had brought up that I had had a dream about him, like about three nights, you know, into the process. And I had shared with her the dream, just kind of, I was doing it nonchalantly because I just thought I'm just sharing a story of what happened. Well, Jennifer, her jaw dropped, her Mm -hmm. jaw dropped. And she says, Tanya, that is exactly what I have been praying for. That is exactly the information that I wanted, that I needed. And you just gave that to me. And I was like, I think that was my aha moment of, whoa, the the deceased are talking to me. I did not. I think before you could just let it, you could push it to the side. And then this one, it's like, it really hit home that I have mediumship abilities and psychic abilities. So then of course that one, I wanted to learn more, you know, so that's when I started going to that little spiritualist camp there in Florida, uh, called Casadega. And I got certified and I got attuned in Reiki, you know, mm-hmm. and then that led me into, uh, EFT tapping mm-hmm. and then into the emotion code. And then into, of course, quantum healing hypnosis. But one story I do want to share that I had touched on in my show with you that you're like, please share this story was when we would work with the families, 
uh, our volunteers would actually quilt, uh, quilt or knit beautiful blankets, okay, for these donors that we would take into the hospital and we would lay them on the patients in the room prior to them going to uh, the oper operating room. And then that blanket would go home with the family kind of mm. as a keepsake. Mm. Well, I got to a point where I would go into the room. Now, these patients were declared brain dead. They had no longer any cessation of, you know, any activity, you know, they had been declared. And in the state of Florida, it required two brain death notes. So they were declared. And I would go in oftentimes and have conversations, not when the staff was in there. It was usually me by myself, but I would have conversations with the, the patient. Okay. And I would notice I could hear, I was hearing information. So I started to tune into what types of colors they liked because I would go back and pick out a blanket specifically for this, this donor. And I, I would do this. And I think it was more of an impression that I would get. It was like, okay, I feel that they, they really love purple or they really love green. And I would go back and just kind of we had maybe 50 blankets in the office. So I would kind of just wave my hand over them and see which one I felt really strongly guided to. And I'm telling you, Jennifer, every single time I hit the nail on the head. And when I would give these blankets to the family, their eyes would just bug out and they'd be like, this is their favorite color. How did you know this? Or this was their favorite football team. And these are the colors of that team or whatever it may be. And my coworkers were like, how are you so good at this? So it got to a point where they'd have me pick out the blankets every time they didn't really realize what was going on. And quite honestly, I don't even really know if I realized what was going on at the time, but this became almost like it became very rewarding for me because I knew I was giving something to the patient and the family that was a value to them that was meaningful for them to take, you know, to take home. And I was really picking these uh, sentimental gifts, you know, so to speak for them to take home. But I wanted to share that story because that is something that's so subtle that not everybody picks up on, but it was something that I started to develop my spiritual gifts and it allowed me to kind of tune in a little bit better. Awesome. Uh, for some reason, I keep thinking about that Labrador and wondering if there was anything in the message about the lab because and, and like, what happened with the dog? <laughs> no, the dog was fine. Actually, the dog was fine. They actually brought the dog in to say goodbye to him oh, uh, at the hospital, but mm -hmm. it had to do with a location of an object, something that she was looking for mm -hmm. within the home that had to do with his death and mm -hmm. it had to do with that. So, yeah. yeah, but it was like, whoa, you know, and then I would have dreams and I still do occasionally have dreams of some of my donors. I know. I had some, I had one coworker who was a really good friend of mine, highly intuitive. And she, to this day, still has a little four-year-old boy that communicates with her from working in the field, oh. you know, in donation. And she, she just felt comforted. But I do remember one time, Jennifer, we were in the operating room and we were at a hospital, a trauma center. And I was in the, in the room with maybe six or seven different staff, you know, the surgeons are in there and, and all the scrub techs. Well, it was a young child, I think under the age of five. And I remember I was kind of standing on the outskirts because I didn't have, um, I didn't have all the gear on. I was just kind of on the outskirts. Well, I watched one of the nurses and her eyes just got really big. She, she looked straight up in the air and she put her hands up and she said, I'm out of here. I can't do this. And 
So I kind of followed her out and I said, are you okay? You know, what happened? And she goes, I just saw the spirit of that little boy. It was floating above, above, above his body. And I said to her, I said, you know, I can't see it. I, or I hadn't developed that gift yet where I could see it, but I could sense it and I could feel it and I could hear it because I have very powerful clairsentience and clairaudience. Mm-hmm. Clearly she had clairvoyance and she mm-hmm. was seeing it. And so I, in that moment, I felt as if I kind of helped her. I kind of calmed her down and said, you know, you obviously are empathic. You have, you definitely have psychic abilities. And she said, Oh my gosh. She says, I see these things all the time. She goes, but this is my first organ donor. And it was a child. And she said Mm. that, you know, was so, so vivid and intense. So, you know, I started to be able to utilize my psychic abilities in the, in those situations, because you know, a lot of nursing staff, a lot of people in healthcare are empaths. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they don't know it. <laughs> They're empaths and they don't, they don't realize. Right. 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 Yeah. And well, so I was able to help people. So often people go into the helping professions because, you know, we feel better when other people feel better. And, you know, and it just makes total sense that we, we do that. So Tanya, I want to circle back to the experience. Like, I'm really curious about what it was like being in the funeral home as a child. Were your cousins sensitive as well? Like what was happening? Like, you know, and have you and your cousins talked now as adults? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there were two of them and one of them was more sensitive to the other. Now, you know, I do question were they both sensitive and the other one was just shutting it off. But I was home about a year ago and I had the opportunity to chat with one of my cousins firsthand about some of her experiences and they would tune into things. They would hear things all the time, voices, objects would move, uh, you know, and I remember specifically one time I was there playing and we had, we were just playing with a ball. I mean, I was probably eight or nine and my dad was doing some work and I would go down there with him from time to time, play with my cousins because it was a small town. It was maybe two miles away, you know, and we were playing and we were just throwing the ball around back and forth and it had actually bounced down the stairs into the embalming room. (laughs) And my cousin said, go get the ball. And I was like, okay, I didn't even think twice about it. Well, I had gotten down there and there was about two, there was two bodies in there, you know, two bodies. And, uh, it didn't phase me. It didn't even phase me. I kind of just looked at them and I remember like, Oh, okay. I looked at them. And then I do very vaguely remember like names popping in my head because I did come back upstairs and I told my dad later on, and I don't really remember this, but my parents had remembered it that I had actually come up and said, so-and-so, you know, was downstairs and I, they had, I had a story, you know, I had a story and they were like, who who are you talking about? You know, but then my dad had actually figured out that I was actually talking about one of the people who who were deceased, you know? Mm -hmm, And so, mm -hmm. I had tuned into that at a really young age. And yes, one of my cousins said that she said, but she would tune it out because she lived there and she said it was very overwhelming and she couldn't listen to that all the time. It was just just too much, you know, and way too much. Yeah. It's like having company in your house, 24 seven, in your house, in your mind, in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Like no escaping it. I I was thinking as you're describing this, I was thinking about the um, TV series, six feet under that was that HBO series, which I absolutely love. And one of the things I really loved about it was at the very beginning, 
happening when there was just like they were having that kind of communication with the spirits of the dead and that interaction that was happening. As things went on, they didn't tend to do that as much later in the series when it got more into the like the hot mess dramas between all the family members. But at the beginning, there was more of that. And I really, really, really loved that. Um, I'm curious. I'm wondering, actually. So you were saying that like you come from legacy, you come from you come from funerary arts legacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually wondering, like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg do? Is it are people is, is this sort of like people who end up in the funerary arts is it like, is the empathic sensitivity, the psychic ability, the mediumship stuff that happens as a result of being around dead bodies all the time? Or is it that there is a natural predisposition towards these abilities that tended to lead family, certain families into the funerary arts? I don't know if you know the answer to that. I don't, but I'm that's just a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because, you know, like I said, I wasn't around it as much as my uncle and my cousins were, but I'm super in tune to things. However, I was around death and loss in my 20s and 30s, you know, so it's like I I, I experienced it later in life on a much, you know, more regular level. I mean, I was, you know, and for me, it was this. So there was a time when I would have to review medical records. I had like 10 hospitals and I would have to travel around to each of the hospitals and review charts. And oftentimes they didn't have a place for me to sit. So they would put me in the morgue because there was a computer down there. And that's when I did notice, I started hearing voices. I, I would hear the earthbound spirits. I would hear their spirits. Uh, and people would get really creeped out by that, that you just spent your whole day in the morgue. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it just became very natural to Mm -hmm. me. And then they started having me going to the medical examiner's offices. And I was one of the ones that responded to the pulse shooting in Orlando. It was the nightclub shooting that was several years ago. Yeah. Oh no. I, uh, me and a whole bunch of us up here, felt pulse before it happened we were all like absolutely beside ourselves a couple weeks prior to pulse and when it finally hit we were all just like that was what we were feeling so that's just interesting because i sort of feel like there was something so when you got chills i got chills i'm getting chills like like i feel like we just came full circle from something that i've been sort of so please continue yeah yeah so i had been on a vacation i had gone to norway with a friend and i had gotten back the day before and literally the pulse uh shooting had happened and we were all hands on deck because there wasn't enough staff that wanted to go into the trenches because it was it was horrific you know and so it was a massacre it was a massacre and not they called the organ procurement organization because they know that we deal with this stuff regularly and that emotionally and mentally we could handle this right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. my friend i was actually helping out at a medical examiner's office in my territory but she had called me and said hey i need some assistance here can you can you come over and help? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll be right there. And I remember Jennifer walking in. So this is one of the top of the line medical examiner offices in, in Orlando, you know, in Orlando, Florida. And uh, I remember walking in and the, when you walk in the door, there's two double doors there. And when they, those doors swing open, that's where they have all of the 
the, the bodies, you know, or all of the people, I, I, I say bodies because that's what we would call them in the field, but it's right. people, all of the people. Yeah. And I remember walking in, this is crazy because my psychic abilities just boom, the moment I walked in and I hadn't been to this facility, I'd actually been to this facility like a month earlier to visualize uh, an autopsy. However, we didn't have one that day, so I didn't get a chance to, to see it. So I just got a tour of the facility. Mm-hmm. Well, the mm-hmm. moment I walked in that door, and those, those double doors were there. They swung open the doors, like two of the staff had walked out and immediately my eyes had scanned through that room. And I saw everyone that was in the pulse shooting, like in that room. And then I immediately scanned down and saw a shoe like a sneaker on the ground and it had blood on it. And boom, I had an image in my head. It was like sneaker. And then this person, you know, it was like immediately I had associated that. So now I'm learning that's called psychometry. Mm-hmm. It's when you can look at something or feel it mm-hmm. and associate it with something. And I am starting to really develop that gift. But at the time I not only was, I immediately had a visual of who that person was in my mind. I also could hear all these whispers going on in my head. And I'm like, are these the people, you know, is this the staff? But no, then I realized, oh my goodness, it's all of the earthbound spirits that have just been shot out of their bodies. And now they're kind of just congregating here because pulse, when they, the the medical examiner had actually decided to take the shooter to a different location than to where all of the the families were and all of the, yeah, that makes sense. I thought was very compassionate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that was really nice that they did that. So, but with that said, I was just, it, it, it overwhelmed me. And my, I remember my coworker looking at me and she's like, are you okay? She thought I was just overwhelmed by the death, but it really wasn't that I was picking up on every, you know, every, um, one of my gifts was just on overdrive. Yeah. And so yeah. I had to step out, you know, of there and just ground myself and be like, okay, can I do this? Like, it's one thing when you're working with one donor one-on-one, but then when you've got, you know, 25 or 50, I can't, I can't honestly can't even remember how many there were, um, because it was just, it was so overwhelming that it was like, can I even handle this? So I had to kind of get my wits about me and then be able to go back in and assist, you know, and help people. But that was very, that was very traumatic, you know, for, for everybody involved. And yes, but that was also yet another kind of turning point for me in my developing my gifts and even having more understanding of what my gifts are mm-hmm. and going deeper into that. Cause I thought, Oh, my psychometry is just check, you know, picking out blankets. And now it's like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I had an experience. One of the first very conscious awareness of psychometry experiences I had was years ago. I was at a, an, a, an, a retreat, a weekend retreat and somebody, and I found a scarf just on the, on the grounds and I picked up the scarf and I immediately knew who was, whose it was. Like I just knew. And I was like, and, and about, you know, so about an hour later, you know, going into the dining hall, I'm like, is this your scarf? And she's like, yeah. How did you know? I was like, I just knew, like, I could tell, I could see you. I could, I just felt it. Like I could feel that this was your scarf. And, um, I've also had the experience of like when we were house hunting, that psychometry ability was was definitely not working in my well, in some ways it was was working in my favor because it had me recognize like there were a couple of houses that were super, super, super wrong and kind of creepy. But one house was really sweet, but it was just um 
you know, the upstairs part of it, like there was this bedroom and I just, I stepped across the threshold and just like, just looking at the bed, I got this incredible download of all this information about what was happening. And it, it is really quite spectacular to be able to look at, you know, look at an object and get so much information, which is actually one of the reasons why I'm a really big fan for periodically scanning your space and decluttering, because, you know, not only do we have it for paranormal stuff or for other stuff, but like you're constantly getting information from the objects around you might as well choose good objects instead of neutral or icky ones. I absolutely yeah. agree. And I think, you know, my training ground was going into a hospital uh, hospitals every day, going into medical examiner's offices, going into funeral homes, going into all of these. But with that said, it was activating my nervous system to a point of burnout. You know, it was just because I, I hadn't gotten to a point of understanding that I can command them out of my energetic field. Like I don't have to sit there and be lashed and bashed by every earthbound spirit. Right. I, I, ha I can take my own sovereignty back and say, Hey, you know, and set boundaries. And so I think once we learn, you know, uh, that we're empathic, we, we understand what our abilities are. We do have power over them. And, you know, the younger version of myself didn't think I had power over it because it was actually consuming me and draining my energy without me even recognizing it. And my, I do remember as a child, I'd come home and sleep. I love to sleep. My mom's like, all you do is sleep. And I think I was just at that time, I was transmuting a significant amount of energy. And uh, now it's like, okay, I can set up those boundaries for myself and say, I'm not, I'm not tuning into this today. You know, this is not what I want to communicate with, but I've been on a few paranormal investigations here locally. And, uh, and it's been fun because it really allows you to tune into your gifts a little bit more and have a deeper understanding. But the more you do that, the more you realize I have more gifts than what I thought I had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Voila, psychometry. Woo. <laughs> well, and I actually find that as empaths, we often can, um, receive the gifts or the abilities um, from the world around us. So where I think that a lot of times people who might be psychic or intuitive, but not empathic will be able to like, they might have clairsentience or clairaudience or clairvoyance. But I find that like one of the things I've noticed is that as an empath, if I'm communicating with somebody from the other side, I will often experience information through their dominant sense processing sensory processing that and that i'll experience information through kind of like the predominant filter that the other person uses and i think as a result that the more we sort of allow ourselves to be open to receiving especially once we have some boundaries in place that we do have the ability to access like all many, if not all of the Claire's. Absolutely. And it's like they, you know, and I do personally feel I've been actively working on my clairvoyance and I know that's a powerful gift for me, but there's a reason I shut it off. And whether I shut it off in this lifetime or previous lifetimes, I, I, you know, I'm still working on that and it is starting to slowly open itself back up, but 
I do see, uh, I don't see full on. Well, okay. I do. I did in the hospital. I would see shadow beings mm-hmm, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be in the office late at night, maybe three in the morning. Cause I'd have to go in and work with a night shift. And, uh, my, my coworkers chair who wasn't in there would fly across the, you know, the room. And I'm like, okay. You know, cause it had rollers on it and it would roll across the room. And, uh, I would see shadow beings constantly. So I know that I have those abilities to see it in my external, but most of the time my clairvoyance is within my mind's eye. That's my experience too. And I actually have a theory for myself. I spent my, the first like 23 years of my life developing my skills as a visual artist and looking at things really precisely in the world around me. I actually believe that I trained my eyes to see the world in such a concrete way because I was drawing still lives and I was doing portraits and all this, that if it was almost like I, I, I sort of filtered out the extraneous information and instead, but so I've always been able to, like, I can see auras and I can see energy in my mind, but I, but I don't see it. Like, I know there are people who like see it as if they're watching like, you know, CGI in, uh, on a, like on, on, like a Harry Potter movie or something like that, like where you can really see it. And I've never, you know, like, I don't see like, I don't see like a big purple haze all around you as the aura, but I can sense what somebody's aura is. And actually it's interesting as I was saying purple haze, because I'm actually seeing a lot of rose around you. Like you've got a great deal of rosiness in your aura right now, but um, it's (laughs) so. so I'll do this, Jennifer, when you see rose, this has happened to me. If you see rose, do you smell roses? Because I've had that happen where someone will have a yellow aura and I taste lemons and it's like, mm, like that kicks in where the taste factor or someone may be holding a trapped emotion and I taste bitterness in my mouth and I know immediately they're bitter about something. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. do you ever have that happen? I, that I have not personally had happen, but I can smell certain things and, and it's like, but it's more like this energetic signature of a smell. So it's not necessarily a, you know, again, it's sort of more of like this etheric smell as opposed to a concrete smell, but, um, You know, something you said, I want to circle back around to, you were talking about sovereignty as a medium and about the fact that one of the things that's so important to realize is that we get to set boundaries with the dead. And my personal experience is that they're very much like dogs and children. If you are clear with them about what your boundaries are, they're very respectful of the boundaries. But You just need to have those boundaries. And I think that a lot of times we don't even know that we're allowed to say, hey, I'm really trying to sleep right now. Uh, You know, I'm more than happy to get this information from you later. But right now, like, I need sleep, please, you know, like, like move along. (laughs) Let me, let me. And, and generally it's like, it's just so I was actually having an amazing conversation and interview with another, another person that's going to be airing. Um, later this season, where we were talking about she's an experiencer who has had a lot of, you know, comes from multi-generational extraterrestrial visitations. And it was, and one of the things that she realized is, I mean, she had felt like a victim to these, to these ETs that were constantly hovering and surrounding her and coming and visiting her. And then finally, isn't it, you know, a few years ago, she was finally like, would you please just stop? Like, this is really upsetting to me. And, and the being was like, 
oh, sorry, I had no idea. Like, they're just like, okay, no problem. And I think we so frequently assume we cannot set a boundary with these, with these spirits or with these entities, like that we're not allowed to say, no, this is, this is my limit. This is my boundary. Or I'm off duty right now. If you need to talk to somebody, go find somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Cause you know, they, we are in the third dimension and they're in other frequencies, right? Right. So- we need rest. We need to sleep. And they're all active in the night, you know? And so it's like, I've had to do that. Uh, And I've actually had an ET experience as well. It showed up, you know, uh, as an apparition in front of me in Western New York, which I think Western New York in itself is its own conversation about how spiritual the land is and how many of the settlers came over and and that's where a lot of religions came from a lot of spirituality started so in itself, joseph smith and yeah i mean and and then the Mormons, like rochester yes. the mormon then right like and, and yeah we were we were one of the years um my friend and i were driving back from starwood um and going across the state and um And there was all of this really curious heat and lightning and weird, you know, like just weird activity going on in the sky. And one of the things it happened that the friend who was driving with me worked for an organization um, out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, that was doing research on extraterrestrials. And what she was saying was that it's very common for these sort of demonstrations or displays of like big clouds and kind of heat lightning is usually hiding things. Yes. So, and so, but that was one of, um, some of the most overt stuff <laughs> I've ever seen. It was in Western New York State. So it is. And so right there I had me. gone home to visit my my grandmother, excuse me, <clears throat> or not visit my grandma. She had passed away. Okay. So I stayed in her home, her uh, 1900s ranch farm house, all by myself, all by myself. And it's a two story house. Well, she was driving me crazy on the other side. I mean, it was kind of a joke, but we, she was 91 when she passed. So we had actually talked about how we were, how you were going to haunt me. You know, that's what I'd say to her. And she goes, well, I'm going to make you laugh. She was messing with my phone. She was moving things, just, just some crazy things that were happening. Well, her and I, our connection was ladybugs. And I would tell her, show me ladybugs. You know, my grandmother's connection was also ladybugs. (laughs) And when we, um, and the timing of this is amazing. We bought our house 20, um, we bought our house 21 years ago and we closed on Halloween. My grandmother was an atheist who did not believe in any of this hooey. She thought it was really ridiculous, but I had said to her again and again, you know, in the last like 10 years of her life, well, if I'm right and you're wrong, you're very welcome to come and visit me. And, you know, like you're welcome to come and hang. And wouldn't you know, the moment we we walk into this brand new house and we had used money from her death because she had died about, you know, uh, seven months before we we purchased the house. So we used money from that I had re- inherited from her for our down payment on the house. And we walk, we close on Halloween or Samhain and we walk in and there in the middle of the kitchen sink, there is a ladybug on the faucet just looking right up at me. And I'm like, well, hello, thank you for conceding that I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> It's funny, Jennifer, my grandmother was the same. She didn't believe in all this hoopla because I told her when you pass, you're going to communicate with me. I'm going to be the grandchild 
that is going to listen to you, you know? And so this, this is so funny about two weeks ago. I, uh, it was my, the day of my grandmother's death two years ago, it was back in September. And that morning I looked at a picture of her and said, all right, grandma, I'm going to go on a hike with some friends. And I want you to show me that you're with me. I want you to show me a ladybug. I said, a ladybug. So we get out there and we start hiking. And I told my friends before we started, Hey, my grandma passed two years ago today, and she's going to show us a ladybug. And they're like, okay, they go, it's September. There's no way we're going to see a ladybug. I'm like, we're going to see a ladybug. Well, we get hiking and then we get to a point where there's maybe a little, little area with 10 ladybugs. My friend points it out. She's like, look, there's 10 ladybugs. And I'm like, Oh my grandma. She, you know, she showed up Jennifer. I'm not even joking. We continued on our hike. We probably hiked for another 40 minutes. Well, by the time we were heading back, we had gotten to a point where there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of ladybugs. They were all over the logs. They were flying around us. They were on my clothes. I had gotten home and I had was pulling ladybugs out of my clothes. Well, after we had seen all these ladybugs, I said, all right, grandma, I'm done with the ladybugs. Like, this is ridiculous. I mean, you showed up. I, I, I see it. Now show me dragonflies. Well, as we were walking back to our cars, we saw 20 dragonflies circled around us. And so, you know, we have the ability to tune in with the other side. We, we do, uh, you know, it's just like a radio frequency. It's really just communicating with them and then believing, believing that they can communicate back and then being open to receiving that message that they send to us. And, you know, the funny thing is she showed us, you know, the 10, but then it took her a little bit to manifest. But when she did, <laughs> they were all over the place, all and, over the place. And I had a video, it's been circulating a lot on my page and People are like, that's amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. And well, and her sense of humor is so obvious or evident too. Oh, she's like, you funny. want one ladybug? Let me show you. I got she's this. Like, I'm not joking around. <laughs> well, and interestingly, I can't recall if it was earlier, it was in the podcast interview that I was being, I was being interviewed for today or whether it was yesterday, but within the last 24 hours, this is the second manifestation of ladybug and like very specifically like ladybugs as communicators ladybugs as messengers and so because like a ladybug just like the person who was on the other you know on the other zoom screen like just was like a ladybug just happened to appear and i was like oh yeah you know yep that's them talking um so i just it's like it just feels like there and the fact that your grandmother and my grandmother both use ladybugs to communicate with us is so interesting. My grandmother actually did an interesting thing because um, a couple years later, so I was doing a, 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 tra a shamanic journeying piece and we were communicating. We were going to this place where the ancestors tend to congregate, where you can communicate with them. Mm -hmm. And so I went over and I was like talking, I went to see her and my grandmother made it very abundantly clear that she didn't really care to have much of a conversation with me because I was not from her daughter's line, that the only people that mattered to her were the matrilineal, like the daughter of like the daughter like were was her daughters and her daughter's daughters and her daughter's daughter's daughters like that though they were you know her sons she didn't really care about like or or her or her son's you know offspring um and then what but then she basically told me that she was going to be reincarnating as the um firstborn child of my cousin's 
firstborn child who at the time was like 18 years old and there was no way in hell she was going to get pregnant. Uh-huh. Go figure, six months later, she's pregnant. And it was so spectacular because from the get-go, when I saw this child, from the moment I looked at like this, like not necessarily like they don't look physically identical, but their energy signature was identical. <sighs> and, but it was like, this child was raised in a magical, progressive, like family where she had, like my grandmother was raised as an only child. And my grandmother was raised in like, like she just so many things. And just the time, like she was born in the early 1900s so many things that she didn't get to do and getting to see her soul be realized now um, is so exciting because it's like she gets to be the wild, creative, magical person. Because like my grandmother didn't believe in magic, but she did believe in mermaids and she did believe in fairies, but she especially believed in mermaids. And so she was constantly sending us out to look for mermaids in the rocks <laughs> and things because she, she lived on the ocean. But yeah, so I just just struck by like a lot of oh, your grandmother and my grandmother are kind of having a conversation here both of them conceding that that maybe we're a little bit more right than they were which <laughs> if your grandmother is like mine that's a hard thing to I'm like yep grandma you know i would tell her that i'm like you are going to communicate with me and she's like whatever she goes all i care about is getting off this earth right now i want to go see your grandfather you know because he had passed away 40 years mm. earlier mm. you know so she was ready to check out and then when she did she came back full force to come visit me but oh yeah it was funny because my dad's like she doesn't communicate with me but I'm like I'm not sure you're open to it like I am yeah yeah well and there's also the whole thing of second guessing oneself and you know like I, I had I have had the experience of well and then also grief how deeply or profoundly grief can inhibit our ability to feel the depth of the message. Like, it's kind of like I, I had a, have a friend who lost their, their spouse. And, and even when their spouse is, is like, has reached out through, like has literally had mediums call them on the phone and say, I'm here, I'm watching you. I'm, I'm loving you. I'm all about this. They are so heartbroken that their attitude is, yeah, but you're not here no you know and so i think that i think that grief will also really make it can contribute to why it can be harder to really feel that connection and and listen to that I, as well yeah i agree with that jennifer because grief is a denser emotion and it holds you deeper into the third dimension and so yeah. When, you know, that's why when you think of your deceased loved ones, you want to think of the joyful times with them, because that's oftentimes when you will have that connection because you're in a higher frequency and uh, you have more of that ability to see through the veil, you know, so to speak. Or I would say, you know, if you let the grief flow, it doesn't feel dense to me at all. It feels really beautiful and it feels there's an elegance and an exquisiteness to just being present with the grief. What I've noticed is when we get up into our head and grief becomes a narrative and a story where we're perseverating about it and we're we're forming a lot of conclusions about it and we're also 
turning it into a because of this, this is what's going to happen for the rest of my life, that it feels to me like it's not necessarily the emotion of grief itself as much as it's our resistance to grief, our projections on grief and all of the and sort of the um, mental heaviosity that we add to it that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the story of grief. And I would see this with our fan, with the families, you know, I would see some of the families healing faster than others. Yeah. And it really had to do with how they were telling their story, you know, yes. were they vacillating in the grief and the pain, or were they actually telling the story of their loved one in a, in a, a joyful light, you know, right, and right, you right. really see how some of them would move on through that. I mean, they were still sad, but they weren't in that heavy, deep sadness, right. not moving. Well, in person, Personally, I actually, and this has happened enough times now where I've been around, I actually experienced the ecstatic bliss. Like I experienced like the, the ecstasy of being released and the just, and the absolute, like the light, just like, like that period of time, right after somebody crosses over for a couple of weeks where everything is just flooded with light and flooded with like possibility. And to me, it's like, it's like, um, best ice cream orgasm ever. Like <laughs> it's just so ecstatic. And it's funny because for me, you know, I'm aware that like, my experience of it is really different than a lot of other people's experience because they are so kind of entrenched in the grief that they can't necessarily feel the freedom and the ecstasy and the relief that comes. But also, I think that's the difference too between spirits that have crossed over and spirits that are, and spirits on the other hand, that are sort of stuck earth side and are really confused, like the pulse victims. Yeah, because we, we as humans hold them here when we can't let them go and allow them to, to, to leave us, then we actually kind of, you know, tether them here, you know, to us. And I think that's, you know, working in death for all of those years and then kind of developing my spiritual gifts, it's really allowed me to see death in a different way. They, they aren't gone. It's just an energy transference. Uh, yes, they're gone in the physical, but they're still there energetically. And I have just as many conversations with my grandmother now as I did, you know, as I did before when she was here on the earth plane. So I, I have totally- more conversations with my dad now that he's on the other side because my dad my dad had suffered a frontal low brain injury when he was four years old and was a fairly non-verbal person and didn't have you know like just and and so ironically he and I have way more of a conversation now that he's on the other side than I did when he was alive because he he tended to be kind of you know I mean your classic sort of father knows best monosyllabic you know guy So so I actually have more of a conversation with him now. You know, it's it's funny. um, The interview that just went live a couple, you know, just very, very recently with Amy Gray Cunningham, where her husband, Chuck, they they kind of co-host a a podcast um, called Butterfly Kisses and um, Amy and Chuck co-host. And so Amy and Chuck came on the show and had a conversation. It was my this year's um, Halloween show, basically. But his 
his his message is very very similar it's like we're not gone it's like we're just in another room we've shifted over to another dimension and one of the ways that he would he explained it to amy was in the same way that like you would be in your room watching tv and i'd be in my room watching tv and we both knew we were in the other room that's what this is like too and so you know I love, I think it's so incredibly important for all of us to be able to start being open to the possibility that there is more to heaven and earth than is dreamt of in our philosophy and that love is stronger than death. Absolutely. And it reminds me of the movie Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. At the end, he's communicating with his daughter. He's in another realm, but he's actually pushing the book off of the shelf in her reality she's seeing the book move falling on the ground but in his reality he's seeing you know he's pushing it and they're looking at the clock and that's what it reminds me of it's just they're there they just we just physically can't see them but we can tune into them with all of our other you know abilities that each and every one of us has and so uh it's you know we all have those we all have every single ability it's just do we work on developing them you know and which ones do we notice are more fine-tuned than other ones and so well and which ones do we love you know which ones do we love what is exciting you know i mean i do think that there's sort of we all have certain talents and predilections and and inclinations and it's like lean into what is exciting to you don't just try to force yourself to be everything lean into the things that are exciting that feel really good yeah and that's so key is what feels good to you because if you want all of your gifts you know at full capacity you'd have a really difficult time living here on earth i I think we would just be we'd be hearing everything we'd be seeing everything feeling everything smelling tasting it would be overwhelming our nervous system could handle it well and you know something about something that that i've been really sort of grasp or thinking about lately is like the spectrum of frequency in sound and light that as human beings, we hear a very limited band of the frequencies of sound. And as vi- and visually, we see a very limited band of the light frequencies that are available as anything. I think I've heard we see 1% of the yes. frequency of light that's available. And so it's sort of like, if you start thinking about like, our capacity to to perceive like we're functioning at one percent even if we dial up and start functioning at three percent that is going to be a substantially larger amount of information coming to us than we are calibrated for right now yeah absolutely and i noticed that when my clear audience you know it's funny I, when i went home to visit my family one of my best friends had said i remember you in third grade holding your ears all the time saying it's too loud it's too loud turn it off and I think at that time, my clear audience was really amped up and I had shut that off because by the time I was an adult, I had hearing issues. I I had a hard time hearing. It was like I was underwater. And now I've started to develop that gift again. And I notice I can hear things that other people can't hear. I'm like, don't you hear that noise all the way across the park? It's like, I always joke. I'm like, um, I'm like on uh, twilight, you know, Edward and Bella, mm-hmm. they can hear things from a mile away. And it's like, I noticing I'm picking up on things, different frequencies. Cause you know, children, when we used to do those hearing tests, children could pick up on different tones and tunes than adults can. And I do think it's really just developing 
that gift and ability again and opening ourselves back up to it because 90% of us shut these gifts off when we're children because it's it's on overdrive and a lot of us can't handle it. It's on, well, and we don't have anybody teaching us boundaries. We don't have anybody giving us any support. We don't have any, you know, and we also often are not receiving any validation or acknowledgement of the fact that this stuff is real. We're being told this is hooey. This is your overactive imagination. <laughs> Just all of the different ways that that we we are not being given any resources or tools to handle it you know as you mentioned the whole thing of like coming into hearing one of the things and this is kind of like a complete adjunctive thing but i'm feeling guided to mention it is one of the things that i'm hearing a lot of is just in terms of like as we are going through sort of the quote ascension symptoms that a lot of people are experiencing like um, what what would be diagnosed as tinnitus or tinnitus, you know, but that we're having like in like ringing in the ears and pretty much since, you know, the onset of COVID, but especially like about a month before my dad died in April of 2020. Um, I've just been struck by like, I am constantly hearing these tones and these frequencies that are coming through. And I'm wondering if that's been something you've also been experiencing because I've been talking, I mean, a lot of people are talking about this as well. That we're Absolutely. Yeah. And it was something that I was experiencing, but I did a heavy metal cleanse and now I'm doing minerals trace minerals mm -hmm. and I noticed it stopped. So I wondered if that had something to do with it, but I do notice sometimes it will happen and I can sense a presence depending on what ear is ringing. Sometimes I can clear essentially sense a presence there. And, you know, I've kind of intuitively picked up that it's just, a, it's a being mm -hmm. that there's a being there that's in my presence, but I'm not getting the constant ear ringing. Like I used to main, mainly because I have been doing cleanses and, and whatnot. And that kind of took away, but there was a time I felt like I had SOS going on in my ears. It was like, beep, 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 beep you know, all the time. And I'm wow. like, I can't get this to stop. And it wasn't in any one ear or the other. It was constant. And so I got to a point, maybe I thought, maybe I leveled myself out in frequency for, a, a, you know, a minute. And now I'm able to kind of hear it, but I'm not recognizing it as much, but I do recognize it. Me and my friends, we do what's called CE5, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. It's when we get together and meditate and we actually communicate with extraterrestrials or beings. And so that's when I know Notice my ears will ring sometimes is that when they come into the presence or mm -hmm. we see the the craft or you know we haven't really seen a being like Stephen Greer has like a being actually uh manifest but we've seen many craft and that's when I do notice my ears will ring I don't necessarily notice it with earthbound spirits or disembodied spirits it's more no. extraterrestrial as well I experience personally I'm experiencing it more with angelic presences oh, is okay. what I'm experiencing and what I've noticed is that I mean I have a fairly consistent and persistent you know tones in my right ear mostly but what I've noticed is if I listen like if I stop and I listen, like if I actually take time and I stop doing all the things and I pause and I slow down, what I find happens again and again is that then it kind of has this way of sort of like I kind of get the transmission and then it subsides. So like a and so, so so I'm finding that as long as I honor it and I listen to it, it is it is it is coming through. And I, 
my sense for myself, because I've done a lot of heavy metal cleansing and I've done, you know, like I, and the, the sort of the remineralizing and things like that, the timing of it felt very relevant. And it just, the sense I've always gotten is that this is not um, physiological, that it is spiritual and that it's coming through. And I, you know, and, and just, so for me, just that willingness to listen has been such an incredibly important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can't put my finger on what made it go away, but I do, I just, I guess I just kind of correlate it with that because I, I, and I'm also taking Ormus orbitally rearranged monoatomic elements, which are, they raise your frequency really quickly. So after I did all that heavy metal detoxing, then I started to reintroduce the Ormus, which is what Jesus used in the Bible, the mana, I guess. So, yeah. So maybe that played a role in it too. It's all holistic, you know, so it's all, it's all fascinating that so i've been i've been recently been guided to stop saying daily bread and instead in the lord's prayer say daily mana there you go that is (laughs) that is much more specifically what we're talking about you know bread it's not about something that gets stored in a granary it's about this it's about the idea of the mana that's available in this one you know single moment or in this in this moment so I, God, all of these pieces that are just weaving together. Tanya, I cannot believe how fast time has whipped by. Uh, it is, this has just been such a rich, delicious, wonderful conversation. Oh, I had one other thought I wanted to throw out there as you were talking about earth spirit, you know, humans holding the spirits here. I thought, I wonder if all of the indignation, all of the grief, all of the stories that we as a nation, or maybe even as a world, we're telling about Pulse, ended up really causing the spirits to stay earthbound because there was such an incredibly large amount of emotional expression, both in favor of the victims and then some people kind of, you know, giving them the hairy eyeball and sending all kinds of negativity their way. But just thinking about the magnitude of emotional energy being sent at those those but those people, I wonder if that was part of what made them so stuck, like not just the shock of this. And, and probably many of them were intoxicated too, which I think makes it harder to recognize that you're dead. But, yeah. but just, I, I just wonder, as you were saying that, I just was like, huh, I wonder how much that also contributed to their stuckness. Yeah, 100%. I believe in that. I do a lot of grid work. So I do a lot of land clearing mm-hmm. uh, and specifically Butte, Montana is an area that has a tremendous amount of hauntings and paranormal activity. And I was watching um, a show with a man who actually kind of does similarly what me and my friends do. We go around and clear the, the land. We go through cemeteries and different sacred sites, ley lines. And one of the things that he had gotten from the spirit box was the reason why Butte was so haunted is because the people continue to share the stories. And mm. so I do feel that stories Salem, I'm actually doing a remote viewing show on Friday, uh, you know, about the Salem witch trials. Anytime we are sharing specific stories about locations, it's harnessing an energy. It's anchoring in an energy of the land of the people of, you know, everything that's passed on. And so you look at all of these haunted homes, all these haunted lands, a lot of it is because 
we as society continue to share the stories behind it and stories are what fuels them and keeps them alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So give them permission to move on. I've also noticed here in Maine, cause I moved from a very densely populated part of Massachusetts up to Maine. And one of the things that I noticed is that there's a lot more hauntings here in Maine than there are in Massachusetts. And mm-hmm. I actually, one of my theories is also that the ghosts, when there's more, when you don't have as much of like urban sprawl and sort of the craziness, that it's almost like with a lower population, there's more space for ghosts to manifest and to make themselves known. So um, I, I've noticed a correlation between population and hauntings as well. And you wonder, yeah, you wonder if the nature, if nature, because trees are like antennas and they can yeah. harness and bring in energy. You've got water there in Maine. Yeah, it's like a natural orgone or organite that's kind of fueling that. Because you've got Oak Island up in that area. There's a lot of kind of strange paranormal. Oh, and I mean, we have, yeah, I mean, I live, I personally live a couple miles away from a place called Pineland that has like quite the stories and uh um and uh fortunately it's the energy of pineland is starting to really shift because people are sort of coming in and using it in a really really different way and it's lightening up quite a bit but yeah maine maine has some really interesting hauntings and fascinating stuff going on there it does. And so it's just interesting. I do think the more earthbound spirits you have, they kind of congregate together, which then can create stronger manifestations, you know, because, and if they're feeling certain uh, emotions, like if they were killed traumatically and they're holding on to anger or resentment, guilt, bitterness, then it's really going to anchor them here. Yeah. And so, and I noticed this with, with uh, patients that wouldn't pass that we had removed from the ventilator, the moment you give them permission then nine times out of 10, they'll pass on. And that's what I told my dad with my grandmother. She wasn't letting go. And I said, dad, you need to call her, give her permission to go. And within six hours, she had passed. So, you know, I I think that's a huge uh, thing for us here on the earthly, you know, realm to be able to give permission for our loved ones to pass, go to the light, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that I learned um, in some of my shamanic training is like, if you are encountering an earthbound spirit, tell them to look up, you know, call on their ancestors to help them and tell them to look up. Like, and sometimes I find too, even just being like, did you know you're dead? (laughs) Like, did you know you're dead? Like it's time to cross over. It's, it's And I think that's why there's so many in the hospitals because it's so traumatic and that they get locked in the hospital because they don't even know they're dead. Right. And that, and that's a whole nother topic is the walk-ins, you know, the walk-in souls that I would witness, you know, in and out of the hospital. But that's why I think those things happen is because the spirits are looking for a a vessel, an avatar, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then that's Mm -hmm. when they kind of pop in and out. Mm -hmm. Tanya, I could have this conversation. I literally, I mean, I could talk for hours with you about this is, I mean, this is just the juice and uh, just love, love, love this conversation. And we're really at that point. So I have a question for you. One of the things I really love to ask everybody at the end of the, of, of the interview is if you could go back in time, actually, we are going to go back in time. We're going to, we're going to broadcast because I really believe like podcasts, you know, we're broadcasting a signal out into the world. So we're broadcasting beyond time and space. So I want to send a message back to young, struggling 
empathic Tanya. Yeah. What does she need to hear? What do you need her to know? What is her message? Yeah. Young empathic Tanya needs to follow her authenticity, not be wavered by others, continue to follow her truth and not be afraid to uh, step into the unknown. And because I I think there were times uh, young, you know, young empathic Tanya got really caught up in the emotions and feelings of others and didn't really recognize what it was that she wanted. And so if you were looking right into her face and you were going to be the wiser, older part that is giving her guidance, what specifically, like, what would you tell, what words does she need to hear from you? I love you and you are beautiful just the way you are. Yeah. Awesome. So Tanya, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? And Absolutely. So uh, like, like you said, in the beginning, I do quantum healing hypnosis sessions. I also do EFT tapping emotion code sessions. So I have a personal healing session that oftentimes it's just guided by uh, the client's energy. So it can include tapping, emotion code, light language, uh, intuitive readings, a whole variety of things. And so you can uh, find out more about uh, my sessions on my website. It's www.thesoulcafe.org. And I'm also the host of the uh, Existential Empath Podcast. So check that out as well. I basically just teach people how to tap into their own inner healer naturally and intuitively. And I have beautiful guests like you, Jennifer. And uh, I just, I love to be able to have dialogues like this because it's, mm. it's so imperative for. It's so, uh, <laughs> it's so nourishing for our souls too. And, and especially in a time where we're being, we're being divided and we're being, you know, we're, we're people feeling isolated. This, these conversations are just like, they're, they're just, they're soul food. It really is. And so if for all of your listeners out there too, I have a discount code empath 15, it'll save you 15% on your first personal healing session. And is that all capitals or yeah, yeah, it, however, yep, empath yep, 15. I will include that you guys. So, so you guys, this is going to be included in the show notes, all of this information. So you can come back over to empathicmasteryshow.com and find all this information so that you guys can go connect with Tanya, listen to her awesome podcast and uh, let her tell her I sent you. <laughs> yeah. Tanya, thank you again. Thank you so much. This has just been so rich. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate you having me on. Mm-hmm. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.